Hi, everyone, and welcome to Liz Collin Reports. On the podcast today, we are continuing our look at the situation along the U.S.-Mexico border. Alpha News spent time with Border Patrol agents from the Del Rio sector in Texas last week. We saw firsthand the massive influx of illegal migrants walking into the country. My guest today is the Border Patrol Chief for the Del Rio sector, Jason Owens. Chief Owens, thank you so much for, for joining me. Big thank you also to your team uh, for having us uh, last week and all the time they spent with us as well. Well, thanks for having us and thanks for uh, for joining us out here. Hopefully you had, a, you had a good visit. It always means a lot to us whenever somebody takes the time out of their schedule to come down and actually get a uh, firsthand perspective of what we go through every day. Yeah, Chief, I think it was so eye-opening uh, for myself and the photographer who made the, the trip with me. We just thought it was so important for Minnesotans, you know, Minnesota news crew, uh, to, to see what you guys are experiencing every day. And I kind of wanted to start there uh, for our audience. The statistics are, are staggering uh, what your teams are dealing with. Just sort of set the scene there. How many migrants are your agents uh, seeing every day in the sector? Uh, some reporting I know just out this week that this is showing certainly no signs of, of slowing down. So for us, I can tell you the Del Rio sector is one of nine sectors that uh, exist along the southwest border with Mexico. And uh, you've heard the numbers, I'm sure, about uh, over two million apprehensions for the last fiscal year. And for the government, the fiscal year goes from October 1 to September 30th. So when I'm talking about fiscal year 22, we just closed out that fiscal year on September 30th. And we're now into fiscal year 23. Well, for Fiscal year 22, we closed out the year in Del Rio sector alone with over 480,000 apprehensions. So just shy of half a million apprehensions. And this is one of the smaller, more remote sectors along the southwest border. Now, to kind of put that into perspective, the previous fiscal year, uh, FY21, that's the year that saw the Haitian migration, the the bridge incident that that was uh, all over the news. That year we closed out with over 259,000 apprehensions. That year was more than the previous nine fiscal years combined. So if you think fiscal year 21 was record-breaking in that sense, last year we almost doubled it. And so far this year, this fiscal year to date, we're about 50% higher than we were in fiscal year 22 this same time. Wow, that certainly puts things into perspective. And explain your manpower there. I know um, you've been able to bring some more agents uh, down to, to that side of the country, but you can clearly see when, when you're there in person, this is just a, a math problem. Uh, your agents are uh, outnumbered. Well, of course. And, and, and to be fair, every single Border Patrol sector you go to, you're going to find this, this same problem in varying degrees. But here in the Del Rio sector, we have over 240 miles of border with Mexico, over 47 counties and uh, 53,000 square miles uh, in Texas. And so to accomplish that mission, we have eight different stations, six checkpoints. And so we have just about 1,700 sworn agents and then another 200 or so support staff to accomplish that. And that sounds like a lot until you start talking about 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, accomplishing that, uh, that, that, the entirety of the 240 miles of, uh, of border, all of the checkpoints, all of our boat patrols, all of the administrative efforts. It's just a massive uh, law enforcement operation. And every border patrol sector is like that. But take into account that with the flow that we're seeing right now, most times we have 40 to 50% of that manpower on duty is dedicated exclusively to the processing effort for the migrants that are basically crossing and turning themselves into us. 
we heard uh, that the governor of Texas now has gone so far as to declare this an invasion. Uh, what would you call it that? Uh, so for me, going back, I've been doing this for 26 years. And, you know, I have seen influxes. This is the worst influx I have ever seen. And inevitably, this, uh, this seems to come and go in waves. And, and one of the things I always point out is there's always one or two areas along the border that is getting hit hardest. And if you look back to when I started back in the 90s, it was, you know, San Diego. You probably think back to those times and you think back to, uh, you know, uh, Operation Rio Grande, Gatekeeper, Hold the Line. And then it shifted over to Tucson. It was in Tucson for most of the 2000s. And then about 2012, it shifted to the Rio Grande Valley. And now it's come over to us and El Paso. So I think this is in part, uh, for whatever reason, this is just Del Rio's time to be getting uh, hit harder than everybody else. And it just happens to be at a time where we're seeing uh, the, the highest possible numbers. But at the end of the day, this is about two issues. This is about migration to our country, and it's about border security. And those two, they intersect and they impact one another, but they are very separate issues. So when you have folks that are coming for the purpose of staying into this country, they're turning themselves in, they're actually crossing, albeit illegally, and they're seeking out a border patrol agent to turn themselves in because they want to be here and stay in this country. That's not the function of the United States Border Patrol. Our function is one of border security. Our job is to be out on patrol, keeping the bad things and bad people from coming in. And when we're stuck dealing with this humanitarian crisis, we cannot be out there on patrol interdicting the narcotics, the sexual predators, the gang members, the cartel members, all of these things that we see on a daily basis in addition to this influx that we've been seeing for the past couple of years. So then how is your morale among your agents? I mean, is it fair to say that they can even really stay positive when this is their daily reality, Chief? Well, naturally, it's tough. Absolutely. And uh, and you, you talk to anybody in this uniform and and we're going to be frustrated when we can't get out there and do the job that that we signed on to do because we see the dangers every day. We know that there are threats out there to our communities and to the people that we serve. The one thing I will say about the men and women that wear this uniform is they are some of the most resilient and dedicated people I have ever had the pleasure to know that despite everything they go through and have gone through, especially, especially here in this sector. I mean, you look at what happened in September of 21 with, uh, you know, with the Haitian migration and you look at what's been happening in, in Eagle Pass, you know, uh, the sheer number of deaths that they've dealt with, the rescues, over 3,000 rescues in fiscal year 22. These are lives saved by Border Patrol agents. The uh, incident in Uvalde that, uh, that our men and women uh, were involved in, they've taken some hard hits. They have absolutely uh, weathered a storm. But what people don't talk about is every single day they wake up, they put this uniform back on. And they go back out there and they do the job again. That kind of dedication demands our admiration and respect and our attention. So, yes, uh, morale is an issue because they simply want to do their job. They want to get out there and work. We need to take notice of that. We need to take notice of the fact that that is, it is impacting them. And the best thing that uh, the best medicine for that is to enable them to do their job. And to just be supportive. Uh, every time uh, it, it seems small, but anybody that's a member of 
the public or the communities coming up and saying thank you or that we support you. You can't put into words uh, what that means for these men and women. And you could certainly see that uh, dedication on on full display uh, to the job when when we were there in in town chief, no doubt about it. You did mention this uh, humanitarian crisis, uh, the border patrol calling it uh, that again and again. But but talk a little bit more um, about that. Why this is a humanitarian crisis? Lives are being lost. Lives are being put in danger uh, from the moment a migrant leaves their home, and they put themselves in the hands of the cartels or smugglers, they are in harm's way, period, end of story. From the moment they are transiting through Mexico, uh, no matter how they get there, when they get to the border area, uh, when they cross over a very dangerous river, people drown in it every single year, they're being drugged through the middle of the desert in extreme austere conditions. Uh, They're being left behind if they can't keep up. They're being extorted for money. They're being assaulted. They're being robbed. They're being raped. Some of them are being killed. They're being abandoned. They're being stuffed in stash houses for weeks on end with no running water, no air conditioning, no uh, no bathroom facilities. And we're talking upwards of 50, 60 people in a house that's meant to hold a family of four. After that, they're stuffed and locked in the back of a tractor trailer or on a train with no means of escape. And we've seen the results of that going back to when I was in Laredo. We had the 10 migrants that died in the, in the parking lot at San Antonio Walmart, and most recently the 53 that perished in the, in the back of a tractor trailer. Those incidents are occurring not on both sides of the border. The smugglers don't care. They don't care who lives or who dies. They only care about making the money. That's what makes this a humanitarian crisis, because there are lives that are being put in danger because of the way things are happening. And a historic number of lives lost uh, just within the, the last fiscal year of people, people making this journey. Absolutely. It was, uh, I think we were just shy of 260 here at this sector alone. I think there was around 800 uh, for the entire year that we know of. Now, that's another that's another important uh, aspect to keep in mind. Those are numbers that we know about, and those are just that Border Patrol had a hand in. There are deaths that take place that the government of Mexico uh, recovers that don't get counted in that number. And there are also certainly deaths that have taken place out in the desert and the more remote regions that we can't get out there and patrol because we are dealing with this migrant influx that we are bound to find down the road. Sometimes it may be years later and we only find skeletal remains and it's hard to know when that person perished, but they were migrants that were crossing through some of the most dangerous terrain in this country and were most likely abandoned by the smugglers. And that's something I'm curious as well. Do you think that the border really gets the attention uh, that it deserves. You're talking about these just horrific stories, but sometimes it's perhaps just a few seconds, if it's even mentioned at all, um, in in nightly newscasts. Um, do you think it needs more attention from from the media, from from politicians? I, I do, and of course, it's uh, it's it's one thing for me to say that, being this is my life, this is uh, this is what I do, this is where I live, this is my home, and I think if you talk to most people that that live here on the border, and you saw it yourself, it's uh, it's 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 very different coming down here and actually experiencing it than just watching a couple sound bites on on the news or reading about it on social media. It is an all day, every day thing that not just my men and women, but the members of our community are living every single day. It is a constant onslaught. It does not stop. And I'll give you an example. You know, we have our boats that are out on patrol on the river. When the rains had come and and the water was even higher than it is now, we had a family, uh, a mom and some children that were washed away. And 
in one single event, we had a, my boat patrol agents recovered a three-year-old lifeless body from the river trying to do CPR, recovered the mom who was inconsolable, obviously at that point across the river, the government of Mexico authorities had recovered. I think it was a five-year-old child also deceased. And then an infant, an infant recovering the baby out of the water and doing CPR on him, sent him to the hospital, come to find out the, the infant ultimately perished as well. Can you imagine, especially being a parent, seeing that and what that must be like? And when you go home at the end of the day and you see your kids, I mean, you just want to hug them. You know, you just you can't help but see your family when something bad like that happens. Mm-hmm. You go to bed and you wake up. And guess what you do the next morning? You go right back to the same thing over and over and over. It's going to happen again. That is the reality that these men and women and the members of our community are seeing every single day. And no, I don't think the majority of this country is getting the full sense of what's happening down here. How concerned are you, Chief, with the ending of Title 42 now now weeks away? But what kind of effect do you believe that will have uh, in your sector specifically? So Title 42, I want to make this clear that was never going to be a permanent solution for us. That was a necessity because of the pandemic. It was a public health uh, code that we were enforcing for the pandemic and only for that. We were always eventually going to go back to strictly Title VIII enforcement. And so for the most part, that's what's been done here. There's a small portion of the folks that we apprehend are still amenable to Title 42. I think the last number I looked at was anywhere from 25 to 30%. The majority are already amenable to, to Title VIII. So in terms of that type of an impact, it would be one that we can absorb. The problem is the wrong message that gets sent saying, and this is by the smugglers and by folks that are talking on social media saying that somehow when Title 42 goes away, that it's an open door policy and that everybody should uh, should start making their way and causing a further influx and thus putting more lives in danger. That's the part that keeps me up at night. It's that it's that bad message, that wrong message, false message that says now that Title 42 is gone, you're not going to be uh, removed or sent back. Nothing could be further from the truth. We still and always will enforce Title VIII. If you enter the country illegally, you're going to be set up for removal proceedings because you entered the country illegally. That will not change. And so the message is getting out saying that somehow Title IV going away is, 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 a, is an open door for people to, to suddenly flood in more than they already are. That's the part that, that has us concerned. And I'm sure you, you've heard it b- before, uh, you know, plenty of job opportunities in the United States. People, you know, are fleeing circumstances that are really unimaginable for, for many of us uh, in, in this country. Um, but are you asked that question? You know, can the country sustain this type of population uh, influx? You know, is, is that possible? What do you say? Well, and I, I'm glad you asked that because it goes back to what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. We do need a robust immigration process. For, and we need to have it set up in a way that enables people that want to come here lawfully and work and contribute. We need to have a way for them to do that safely. And that also has the added advantage of taking that burden away from the men and women of the Border Patrol so that we can focus on the law enforcement uh, piece of it. So I do think we need to take a look at how the immigration process is run. That's something that's outside the purview of the United States Border Patrol. Strictly from a border security standpoint, For me, it means a lot because that will clear out 
the migration traffic and allow us to focus on the narcotic smugglers, on the sexual predators, on the convicted felons that are taking advantage of the situation to sneak into our country. It's important to remember that we talked about that 480,000 apprehensions in fiscal year 22. What we didn't talk about is we also had 200,000 known gotaways. Now, these are people that we were able to detect, but we were not able to get to and apprehend because we were tied down with what was going on in the, with the humanitarian crisis. Now, you have to ask yourself, if you know that all you need to do is turn yourselves in to a Border Patrol agent, get processed, and then be released pending your, uh, your, your, your hearing, what possible reason would you have for risking your life and going through the desert and trying to actively evade capture? Could it be that those are the ones that have something to hide? Could it be that those are the ones that have bad intent? We'll never know because we're not out there to identify them and take them into custody. Those are the populations that will worry Border Patrol agents. Yeah, you could certainly tell talking to to the agents uh, that those are the stories. Those are the people that are bothering the agents the most because that's what they want to be doing, not spending their time with the processing. But it's just a numbers game. Isn't it normally numbers will, will perhaps dip around the holidays or I guess I'm trying to get at that a little bit. But is there really any light at the end of the tunnel here? Historically, what we would see, and this is maybe dating myself a little bit, but you would see a dip in the holidays because what you would have traditionally would be the economic migrants that would come up and and work and they would go home for the holidays. And then after the holidays, they would come back. And these were predominantly in in my time back in the nineties, the, the single adult uh, males from Mexico, and they would come up and their families would be stay behind and they would, they would send remittances home and then they would uh, go home for the holidays. That's not the case anymore. As a matter of fact, the majority of the people that we're encountering don't come from Mexico. The majority of the people that, uh, that we're encountering are coming from countries like Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela. Did you know that we had uh, people from over 115 different countries last year that we apprehended? It is, it is absolutely a, a global uh, issue. It's not something that you just see people from the Northern Triangle countries or, or people from Mexico coming across. Nothing could be further from the truth. And at, in terms of light at the end of the tunnel, there needs to be a consequence for an action if you want that action to stop. And so until there is a meaningful consequence for entering the country illegally between the ports of entry, I don't anticipate that, uh, that, that slowing down. And when I talk about consequences, they need to be removed to their country of origin or prosecuted for, for violating the law. Uh, that's the only thing that sends the message that this is not acceptable here. I think if you ask most Border Patrol agents, for them, they're waiting to see that in a meaningful way to believe that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Again, Border Patrol Chief for the Del Rio sector, Jason Owens. Thank you, Chief, for your work. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That'll do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time.